teachers. I'm Carly Walton, and this is the Teach Music Online Podcast, a show where you'll find tips and strategies for growing your music studio. I'm all about automating business tasks, growing through social media, and teaching with the best online tools. Welcome, and I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend last weekend if you're here in the United States. What a great time of year to be grateful and to spend time with family and to get a little bit of a break if you're teaching all the time, which I know many of you listening are. My testimonial slash review today comes from JL, and this is from iTunes. She said, my studio has come back from the dead because of Carly's TMO course. It is my favorite online community I'm a part of, and the podcast is so inspiring. Thanks, Carly. Well, thank you, JL, so much for leaving that review. And if you didn't know already, I do have a membership for online teaching. It's called the Teach Music Online Membership. And we have more than 200 teachers all around the world who get to come inside our membership, go through our courses, participate in our community forum, which is amazing, by the way, just the best, coolest teachers who have the best experience. You also get access to our twice monthly coaching sessions, which are on lots of different topics. So many good things in there. I would love to have you join. Also, we have some new courses. We have a new studio website builder course and a new course all about how to create courses, music courses, specifically for passive income. So if you're looking for an opportunity to create a course, whether that's about teaching beginner piano or a theory class, or maybe it's on composition, any topic at all, I teach you exactly how to do it. And it's getting the best feedback from our teachers, our members that are going through that course right now. I cannot wait for you to enjoy today's episode with Lee Levis. You've likely heard of Leela, or you've probably benefited from one of her many workshops or her resources for piano teachers that she offers. Leela has been using technology in her studio for years, and she especially loves how, en- how it engages the student and really can help create the whole musician and give students even a broader um, musicality in their learning. Leela has spoken around the country to national organ- organizations on the topics of technology, pedagogy, and creativity. She has created hundreds of resources for teachers and truly helps teachers incorporate technology without feeling overwhelmed. In today's discussion, we talk all about making tech accessible to every teacher and how important it is to keep your studio modern and creative. We also talk about the world of chords and teaching chords and how beneficial it can be to introduce your students to chords at an early age. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the wonderful Leela Viss. Leela, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. What an honor. Thank you so much. Oh, well, it's an honor for me to be here, Carly. Thank you for inviting me. I've been watching you and admiring you for, well, a couple of years, but uh, you've had just catapulted onto the scene and unfortunately just at the right time in some in, in some ways because- Thank you. You didn't know, correct, that a pandemic was coming and yet you were already thinking about online lessons. So- Good for you. And I know we've all learned from you in so many ways. So thank you. Thank you so much. Hmm. Well, you have been a pioneer in our teaching world for piano teachers all around tech 
and being creative and being engaging and being resourceful. I mean, so many things. And I thought today we could just have a chat about technology. Um, and it's something I often tell teachers is we wanna fill your toolbox with so many ideas so that we can cater lessons to the student. And we don't wanna overwhelm. So for teachers listening, we don't wanna overwhelm you with like, a list of things you need to do tomorrow, but just give them ideas to pull from for their lessons. Well, and I tend to do that occasionally to overwhelm because I have so many ideas. And then a lot of times I'll be done with a lesson like, oh, I should have done that, you know? So if, if people are thinking they're the only one, they're not, it happens to the best of us. Um, and I look, I will reflect and say, oh, you know what? I should have done that. Well, I have next week, you know? And so- yeah. Um, that's just part of being a teacher. Yes, absolutely. So I'd love to hear, let's first talk about your love for apps and the iPad. And <laughs> I just want to know, like, where did that originally start? Who did someone introduce it to you? Or were you just like, I'm going to try using apps with students more? I, when I was a student at the University of Denver getting my master's degree, I had to visit different studios in the area and two teachers had studios with lab time. Now I'm not talking about a Labrador, I'm talking about lab time, meaning they had a computer and you inserted the floppy disk and then there was that blank screen with the cursor. And then it was this course that students took. It was a, you know, basically an on your own activity and so students would complete that. And I thought, now that is so cool. So they had two parts to their lesson an on the bench and then the off bench time. So for a long time, I called it a music lab and I was buying all the software. It was expensive. The CDs would get stuck in this, the computer, you know, like reboot. I don't know. It just, it was not great, but I was doing it and it was fun. It was a fun addition to my lessons. And then the iPad came out and I think right around that same time, the Keurig was a big deal. And that's what I felt like, oh, wow, I just put this little, I could tap this button and this app shows up. I don't have to what in, get out the CD and enter it and it spins around. I mean, it's just instant, just like a Keurig, a cup of coffee. You just put the little pod in, press the button and you get this fresh hot coffee. So that got me so excited about the iPad because it really did, even though this word is overused, revolutionize how I do off bench time is what I call it now. And um, I... I can't say any more of how wonderful it is, how technology has gotten so easy to use. Because I never, even though maybe someone considers me a tech expert, I only let I only like technology if I know how to use it and feel comfortable with it. So I'm, I hold back. I don't do things right away until I feel the need for it or I feel comfortable with it. That's so great. So you did a piano lab in your in your lesson. Would you like rotate students or would they do? How did you kind of work that in before the iPad came about? Oh, it was always the same. I would have two students in the room with me. So one would be working at the computer with headphones and then one would be with me on the bench and then they switch. And that's still how I uh, teach today. I'm starting some young groups, just students of just beginners. And now I like three. I think I like the energy of three just a little bit. And so we do a little bit of rotation. We do some things together. And then I each have them have their own solo piece that they're working on. So I will work with them on the bench while the other two, one's on a keyboard, maybe practicing and one's on the iPad doing something. And I was looking, I was working with one student 
um, on the bench and I saw the other two and they were busy and like, yes, I like this, you know, and, and it, it just gives me the chance to do a lot of the movement and the off bench stuff that I like to do as well. Something that you said was that your goal is to offer innovative tech savvy lesson plans to develop pianists who stick with the piano for a lifetime. And I can see that in all the work that you do is that your goal is to is to not just have kids come and have it be this forced thing, but have it be something that is long lasting. Have you really felt that happen as you've introduced students to tech and kind of created this well-rounded lesson curriculum for them? I have, you know, I can't say uh, those students who have left my studio. I'm trying to think back. There's plenty of them, but currently I have a number of them because I did this how to play piano in a band course with my good friend, Drew, who is a guru worship leader. They're playing in bands comfortably. I, you know, I get emails from my parents all the time. Oh, Ethan played in band again, you know, or in the band and he was great. And um, that's such a good experience. And guess what? I didn't know how to do until after I graduated with a master's degree. And so that I, I completely teach out of reaction to how I was taught. And I, I wish I would have been a functioning musician early on. People don't hire you to play a, a memorized Beethoven sonata. They hire you when you can sight read, when you can play from a chord chart, when you can play nicely with others. So that's really my goal for my students. I can remember when my teacher introduced me to chords when I was in high school and I, it completely opened up this new world like, wait, I can I can play what I want to play. I don't have to play what's written on the page. <laughs> like, I, it was so amazing to me. And, and tell me about your introduction to that. So you said it was, was it while you were getting your master's that you started learning about chord structure? No. No, nothing. <laughs> you know, I, you know, maybe I I was good at theory, but I never thought of applying it to what I was really playing. Maybe I saw it a little bit. Oh, that's a G chord. That's a C chord. Mm -hmm. But we, I don't, I, I still don't understand how I memorized a complete box suite. And really, mm -hmm. I don't know if I really knew the chord progressions that I was going to next. And that would be so not what I, how I would teach anymore. So, you know, I use it for traditional teaching, but also, yes, when they want to get creative, start with chords because basically we don't know how nicely chords can work together. We just don't, that's, I, for most people, that's not intuitive. So then if you know your chords and you know some good chord progressions, then you can start sounding good. And I think that's the key when people can start sounding good when they improvise, then they're going to do it, right? If it doesn't sound very good, then they're probably not going to do it. So I don't know right. if I kind of got off track there, but no, no I did great. not know my chords. And then uh, someone handed me a chord chart. This was very soon after I graduated and I was completely shattered because like no one, no one told me about this and what is this supposed to be? So it definitely, you know, I, like I said, I teach out of reaction to how I've been taught, not that I didn't have good teachers, but that just wasn't a priority. And now I would say yeah. it's an equal priority. What would you say to teachers who are listening to this, who are saying, well, I've never been introduced <laughs> and they're, they're thinking like, maybe I'm too old or no, I've tried improv improv and I sounded terrible with it. Um, I mean, how can we encourage them to still try it and know that you really don't need that much 
to start to get going with it? Well, one of the very first entry points that I use with all of my students when, when they're ready, when their hands are ready, is the heart and soul pattern. And I start having them play that. And most of them recognize it right away. And I've done, da, dun, da, dun, da, yeah, oh yeah, I've heard that. And then they try and sound out the melody because maybe they've heard that. Or I'll assign just the chords and then the parents jump on, hey, I know, you know, the right hand or the melody. And so for teachers who are shy about improvising, if you've played heart and soul, that pattern without any music, you are really improvising because... You, no one told you what to play. Maybe you're playing the rhythm that you hear. But then what I tell my students is, okay, how many different ways can you play it? And when you are when you are playing it over and over again and your parents say, please stop, then you know you are doing a good job because I want them to get to know those so well. So I think, you know, once you know a chord progression, how many ways can you play it? Oh, blocked, broken, higher, lower, crossovers. And, you know, I those are the obvious. And then people are like, well, I don't want to play something so obvious. And then the creativity starts. I love that so much. It's when they first become comfortable with it and then they can go, oh, I can now add my personality into it. Or I can hear, I can add, you know, with pop songs, I can add this lick or this little thing that I heard. Mm -hmm. I can put it into my melody. That's so fun. Have you found that, you know, I'm thinking of teenage students, especially mm -hmm. that it really helps teenage students be more interested in practice? You know, yes. Uh, I would say it just engages them because they're yeah. not just playing the music. We're getting under the hood. Okay, well, what chord is that? And a lot of times they don't know right away. And so I'll say, can you tell that that's a C chord? And of course they probably are gonna say yes, but I just want them to continue to be looking for those patterns and you know, okay, what is the chord progression? Before you open the book, do you remember the chord progression that you're gonna play? Those kind of things. And that, ch that challenge just kind of keeps them alert and aware and yeah. digging deeper into the layers of what makes music. Mm -hmm. And then you know, that's what I've found is that then they kind of start when I'm making their own. Um, I've got students that want to play like Peter Bentz, like good luck, but <laughs> you know, they're, they're inspired and they can do that if they know their chords. That's so great. Well, we've been, I was going to talk about your course later, but tell us while we're talking okay. about chords, Tell us about your new, your, I don't know actually how new it is, but the scoop on chords and what that offers teachers and just give us a little bit, a little summary of what that is. Sure. Thank you. I have to go back and credit Bradley Sowash, who I co-founded 88 Creative Keys with him. Oh, now it's been over six years, but we, for six years, we did webinars and workshops. And most of them here were in Denver on the ground with 30 some teachers here, which was fantastic. It was all before things changed. And so you really treasure those moments, but he really schooled me on chords. And you know, I'm so thankful for that exposure and that, you know, like our chats half the time were like, okay, how do you spell a C9 chord, you know, whatever. So, he, and he liked it because I, I was a theory geek too, but you know, that's his premise too, is know your chords, kid. And so I love his understanding chord symbols. That's like my Bible for chord symbols. It's a PDF. It's not that expensive. But what I noticed was that was for people who already understood triads. And I wanted something to step way, 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 way back 
and then um, gradually move from triads and their four qualities into how they play nicely together with chord progressions. And then, oh, you want to slide between chords a little bit more efficiently? Well, then you use inversions. And so it, I don't want I, I guess my goal has always been, I don't want students to play an inverted chord just because their teacher tells them or that's how it's written. They play it because they realize that's an easier way to get to the next chord. And so then the fourth, there's four modules. The fourth module goes into seventh chords. And all of my knowledge of seventh chords is definitely from Bradley. So I give him a lot of credit. And this course, I think what's unique about it is that, yes, there's videos. I explain things. I use manipulatives so teachers can kind of see how I'm explaining how to spell chords or scales. We, we dig into theory. And um, it also has these little clip-it quizzes. It, there is a chance to take an online Google quiz if you want to, to test your knowledge, but these are just little sheets that you put these little clips on, you kind of color code them. It's, it's just a neat tactile way. And I guess being a teacher with an off bench component, I wanted something that was a little tactile and a, and a way to review something that was not technology based. So is this something the teacher goes through with a student or is it the teacher learns it and then is, you know, providing the knowledge for their students? Both. I would say some teachers are using it to just hone their chord knowledge yeah. because it may be a little rusty. And some have commented like, well, that wasn't what my theory class was like when I was in college, you know, and because they didn't take the time to really explain the whys. Mm -hmm. um, and then some, yes, like I have... I would say my middle schoolers, that's when I start them with the course. And so they may already know quite a bit about triads, but you know, do you know that there's a major third and a minor third? Because a lot of times I just don't get really nitpicky right away with how a chord is constructed. I just want them to know, hey, if you know a major chord, you know a minor chord by moving your third finger half step down, you know, and have them discover that. So the course just really gets into the nitty gritty and um, chord symbols and Roman numerals, those weird things, yes. and things like <laughs> subdominant and, you know, like all the things on these theory tests that I don't really use all that much in a lesson, but it's just vocabulary that they yeah. need to learn. Well, and it's the application of it, which, you know, I went to Berkeley and that's where I was really dove deep into um, the Roman numerals, but also like the jazz way of notating and the classical way of notating and how they're both beneficial. Um, and there's there's a lot to learn there. And I just love what you've created because I think, you know, we can't get enough education as teachers. Like we're never going to be done learning. And I often look at people like you creating these courses that it's like, this is worth so much because you have done the work to not not only go through the education yourself and learn it, but then make it learnable. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like make it something that somebody can sit down and enjoy going through and it's not going to have all this additional fluff that you don't need that you sometimes get in college. Mm -hmm. And then they can take it and actually use it because you're using it and you know how to use it in a lesson. And it's just, it always makes me so happy to share because we need more of that as teachers. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I I was really excited about it. It was a long time in coming. And it just happened to be that the technology was at a level like, yes, okay, I'm going to try this. Mm. You know, and so um, my favorite tools like Squarespace and Canva and all those kind of things, they just, 
are wonderful. Make Can't it enough about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. makes it so fun, right? And I love mm-hmm. hearing that you've worked so closely with Bradley Soash. He's amazing. And I saw, I know you you guys did eighty eight keys together in workshops, but how cool that he's influenced your teaching so much and so many teachers in the realm of jazz and improv. Yes, he's and that's what I say. I also hold composiums for teachers and. I, I think I drop his name at least a couple of times in every class just because of something yeah. that, you know, I, I've absorbed so much of what he said because he broke it down so well. Okay, we're going to back up a tiny bit because I'm so curious when the pandemic hit and you also, as lo- you know, along with all of us went online. Um, Tell us about maybe a challenge with going online, but then also what was great about it with your current students at the time. Listen, when I'm online, I still feel like I'm sitting on my hands. It drives me nuts. I almost want to scream like, oh, I wish they were here. So I I know you were a big online fan. I totally get it. But I would much rather teach in person. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, it (laughs) did save my studio during the pandemic. So I am very grateful for the fact that I know how to teach online. So when I got over that, cause I don't know, I think we all get uptight when we can't uh, communicate yeah. the way we want to, right? I really want to touch that little finger so that it goes down, the, you know, all those kind of things. So uh, once I got over that and let go of some of that having to be in control, uh, it's it came along fine. I'm still a little bit iffy about beginners. Uh, it's, it, it was hard. And especially if the parents, and I'm not a big fan of parents holding hands literally with their, with their students. I want, I want it to be theirs from the beginning, but, um, if you don't have parent cooperation at home, it is really hard. I do feel like if you're going to do online, you need the parents engaged, especially at the at the beginning, but I am teaching beginners. I now am teaching someone in Australia and in Austin, Texas, and you know none of that would have happened if I wasn't teaching online. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity, and uh, it it does it's a new challenge for me. I would call it more than anything else. What are some apps you're able to use online with those online students? I know you do so much in person with the lab, you know, with apps, um, are there any that you really kind of go to with your online students? Yeah, that was one of the components that I just dropped right at first, uh, when, you know, we were all forced to go online. Like, I am just not going to worry about off bench time. I just can't think about it right now. Just, and you know, no one questioned me. Okay. We're paying for an hour. Cause I only taught for 30 minutes. Then they were only 30 minute lessons, even though they usually came for an hour. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to start with that first. And then when I start putting my brain around, what can I have them do at home? Because I never usually ask my students to purchase apps. Um, That's just not something I do because I know they'll be using them here. Some parents will ask, hey, what's that note uh, recognition app, you know, just for reinforcement at home. So that was an adjustment. And then I did use Note Flight for a composition unit, which saved us. That was in June of 2020 when we were all stuck yet. And like, okay, I should uh, let me keep go- teaching because no one could go anywhere yet. And we knew by the end of the summer, maybe things would be a little bit better. So I thought, well, let's do something different and let's everybody compose a piece. And then because Note Flight is web-based, they could share their screen. I could see what they were doing. I could share my screen and edit their 
pieces. It was it was a really good workaround for something that was creative as well. So I give a lot of credit to Note Flight for getting me through some rough months. And then I've always been a fan of Tenuto and its companion website, musictheory.net. I, I think you were a fan of that too. Like that thing is amazing. And you know, the app is $3.99. It's like less than my cup of coffee. So I, and you can customize it, make it just what you want. And so uh, that has been a lifesaver. So yes, when I want students to review things who are online, then I just uh, share a link through Tanara and then they click on that and they can do the drill on their device. Even if they don't have the app, they can still do it. So it's a remarkable app. And then one I started this year, you know, I was using Sprout Beat for a while. And then I don't know if you're like me, I know a lot of other teachers are like this too. You accumulate so much and like, okay, I'm just going to scale back and then find out what I'm missing. And so I went back to Sprout Beat this year and I'm, I'm really excited about it just because it's really grown up into something that you can tailor for each one of your students, send them a link, they can log in so they can play it at home. So it's a really versatile way to assign exactly what you want the student to do. So I would say those are my favorite. And then I like some of my online students, they did purchase NoteQuest. And then I also have Piano Maestro so that they can work on that at home. So I think the key is having, having apps that are easy to share with a link. Mm -hmm. Quizlet is another one. You know, I could make flashcards of anything here. Practice these flashcards, you know, so I don't have to physically be there. So that's I think great. That's enough. <laughs> well, and I noticed on your website you have a, a great resource for teachers for apps and, you know, a whole list, even with some videos in there on how to use them. And that's so helpful because, you know, I still work with quite a few teachers and coach who are transitioning to online or just transitioning to being more modern. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're flipping their studios and trying to incorporate apps. They've been pushing against it for years and um, and knowing that you can use them and incorporate them and you don't have to use all of them is, I think, really important and a good place to start. Oh, definitely. And I always say one app at a time, you know, and yeah. if you think about it, you want an app that takes away something from your lesson. You know, for instance, if do a note quest or flash note derby. That means I don't have to be holding up flashcards telling, is this the right, you know, is this C, which C, you know, the app is going to do that for them. It's much more fun. It's gamified. So it really does save you time. Yes. Can, I, I would love to chat about just the importance of um, modernizing what we do um, as teachers, uh, mostly because I think some teachers feel like that's not how they learned. And well, if I learned, I learned just fine, you know, I, I can still <laughs> do things the old way. Um, but it's so important that we are modern, not just because, oh, all these tools, it's so fun, but because we want to stay connected with our students. And I don't know, what are your thoughts on just being able to connect with them in a device <laughs> instead of on a notebook anymore, you know, because you mentioned use Tanara as well. Like yeah. we're now sending assignments digitally. We're not writing stuff down and then they never look at it for a week. You know, it's it's just changed so much. Right. You know, I look back at it as let's talk coffee again because I used a Keurig already, you know, that church basement coffee. OK, that's OK. And we can continue on with that. 
or we can be like a Starbucks and start catering to our customers' wishes. And I think that's what I wanted to bring in my teaching is, yes, I was trained classically, very traditional, and I appreciate that. I see the value in it, but I didn't get the other side. And so I want to be a teacher that can give both. Now, some students don't even realize that they are missing the, the chords and the improvising. You know, they really just like the classical, but um, I give them both and cater to someone who's really interested in composing. Then we got, kind of go that route. Um, but I think it's all about, you know, what you, what you're serving your clients, you are serving them. And if you serve them well, they'll stick around, right? We like good restaurants or if, if we get good service, we're going to go back. So good. And something I'm always trying to help teachers understand is as they're marketing their studios and trying to have growth, I always tell them like the number one way to grow is to be more engaging and to think about the bigger picture and think about how we're communicating and how we're applying lessons. And I mean, how we're even talking to parents about learning and the way we grow more because you actually do get more referrals when you're more engaging. And we just did a last week, I did studio growth week. So, and one of those days I had teachers assess their studios and be really honest, like, how engaged our students and had like 15 questions all about like, are they practicing? Are they coming back with lessons learned or not? And those are things we don't want to address all the time because it's hard to hear. Um, but the good news is there are so many resources to help you shift. And not only is it good for your students, but as a teacher, as a musician, as somebody who's doing this, you know, hours, several hours a week, it changes what how you enjoy teaching because you get to learn with your students. It's not just this redundant thing anymore. It becomes a creative process for you and the student as well. Well, and I'm, to piggyback on that, just a couple of weeks ago, a student walked in the door and he's been a very curious young man. And he continues to be a curious young man. Like he asked questions like, why can't you write in four, three time? Like, well, <laughs> so he's looking at irrational meters and all that kind of stuff. But he walked in one day and he said, man, I wish lessons were longer. Oh, oh. Okay, well, I'll take that. And then and then he said, yeah, I didn't practice like I should. You know, like he completely didn't practice what he was supposed to practice. But he was there. He wants to be there. And I think that's the key. If you, you know, if if your mood depends on how your student practices each week, you're going to tank fast. So you have to decide that, hey, we're going to take you where you're at. Let's let's see if we can move forward. I think I remember telling one teacher that, you know, if they haven't practiced, we will still move on to a new section because I usually cut pieces into section. Well, OK, let's learn a little bit more, you know, so even if they don't, they still remember there's a retrieval that comes from last week. So there's something that you can work with. Um, you know, sometimes I get a little too like, okay, you mean we have to do this all over again? But for the most part, no, because we're going to move forward. And I, I feel like if you take that mentality, they'll be okay. Yeah. And then we practice practicing in the lesson. Though so I think that's important too. And like this week is a theme of practice with your pencil. So I'm making sure everyone has a pencil and then, oh, write that down. You know, those kind of things, just having a little bit of a quirky theme every week. We'll just keep them on their toes. Oh, what is she going to be up to now? You know, I love 
teaching them, like practicing with them and, and teaching them how to practice and looking at it in a positive light. Like, well, clearly if they're not practicing, they something's missing. They, they must not know how to practice or, or maybe I need to change my method or my approach to practicing with them. That's so great. I love that. And part of it is, I think the finger points back at me, not for this gentleman who came in, uh, because I know his is all about an executive, like, just get to it. You know, he knows what to do. I practice with him. And he, he, all of my people who don't practice well, admit it and know that is their thing, you know? And so am I going to diss them because they're not practicing that is, that is going to take a lesson immediately. I would much rather, okay, well, let's take you where you're at. Let's keep going. You know, what, what can I help you with next? Um, so I, I think that's probably the key is mm -hmm. taking them however they are, however they come in the door. Yes. Oh, I love it. And that's such a, maybe a good way to end our conversation mm -hmm. is however, however they are and having respect for them as a little, as a little human or as a big mm -hmm. human and <laughs> recognizing their progress is going to look different. You're right. Oh, progress doesn't always happen in a week, even if they do practice, you know, is a week enough time? Maybe not. And I know you're a busy mom. Can you imagine trying to fit practice in for three girls? And, you know, like it's hard running a household. So I give, I give students a lot of credit for getting practice in. Yes. I love that. Well, Leela, thank you so much. This, it, I, I feel like we could just talk all day. There's so many mm -hmm fun ways that we can encourage teachers to think differently, think creatively. I'm going to link your full scoop on chords, but can you tell us also briefly about your podcast? I want to know oh, yeah. what inspired it. And I want to definitely send teachers your way because I think it's a great resource. Oh, thank you. It's called Key Ideas and it was on my bucket list. I think I want to I think I want a podcast. And you know that podcasting is the new blogging. You know, I would write this blog and then, okay, crickets, like, okay, is anybody out there anymore? So I knew I had to up my game just a little bit, but I've always, I've loved podcasts myself. So I thought, well, I think I'll try one. And then all of a sudden everybody started um, releasing podcasts. So it's, it's fun. I'm in good company. I definitely appreciate it. And I love listening to yours. I love listening to podcasts. And I would say mine is probably slanted a little bit towards just life as a teacher, even though I like to teach teachers how to teach. I also just want to be real and talk about life in general. Um, and I love the story part of where we're where we're at as human beings through this career because it's so fascinating. So I would say that's my slant more than anything else. I, that's so cool, and I and I would say it's needed. Um, in our in the Teach Music Online membership, we had a coaching call a few months ago all about fear around career growth and just challenges and fears and the overwhelm and so many teachers were very vulnerable and bringing up you know real fears and challenges in their mind and several of them said thank you so much for allowing us this space because it's not talked about enough and mm. you know the behind the scenes of what happens in a studio and things that are yeah like we're 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 humans we're we're normal people with other life things going on with kids and with 
husbands who have careers and you know all kinds of things that can contribute to that so that is really refreshing to hear because i you know it's one thing to add add another um like this is what you should be doing to to your list of weekly i should be doing this and it's another thing to have a refreshing reminder that like you can do this <laughs> it's normal <laughs> or this is one of my favorite phrases don't should on yourself mm. I love it. <laughs> I think I heard that recently was like, that's I good. I, I love it. Yes. I've, I've lived for, by that for a long time now. It's, and yeah. I, I feel like if you give yourself that freedom of no, I'm not, or yes, I am either one is okay. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, thank you so much. What a pleasure. I'll have to have you on again. We'll choose another topic. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you Carly. So If you've been frustrated with online teaching or feeling discouraged about how slow it feels to grow your studio, then I would love to invite you to join me inside the Teach Music Online membership. Our online membership includes multiple courses helping you with your tech, marketing systems, scheduling and payments, new student onboarding, engagement tactics, scheduling, and so much more. All of this so that you can finally feel excited and confident in what you're building as a music teacher. With hundreds of video lessons, twice monthly live coaching calls, and a thriving optimistic community, we are here to get you where you want to be. We now also offer additional courses, including course creator for musicians and studio website builder. To join us today, head over to teachmusic.online and I can't wait to see you there.